If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. This is another of our popular listeners' choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the listeners' choice winner. If you're not sure how the listeners' choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's guest is Karen Rolf. Karen's been known for creating the Dressage Naturally program, which is a partnership-based way of training dressage in order to create stronger relationships and healthy biomechanics. Her goal is to empower horses and the humans to be the best they can be. How are you today, Karen? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, good to have you here too, Karen. Karen, we normally start off with a favorite quote. What have you got for us? Mm, Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Now, that's going to have some underlying meaning, I'm sure. Has there been a time that things have improved for you more than what you could have imagined? Yeah, I just, that's one of my core beliefs is I live in this possibility. I always feel like there's a possibility for something else to improve. Mm-hmm. You know, something always can go from even good to better or from better to even better. So it's kind of a core belief of mine um, to always, you know, always think that things can get better. And I mean, my life right now, if you would ask me, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I would have said, no way would this be my life. So mm-hmm. it's it's been proven to me and I, I think it, it never hurts to swim in possibility a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm just thinking too, because you've taught quite a few students from what you call, you know, zero to FEI. Did some of those students come in as complete beginners and you didn't want to underestimate them, but you didn't really think maybe that they were going to become FEI riders? What's happened there? I mean, can you pick them from beginners as an FEI rider or not? No, and I'm not sure I think that way because I really, I'm not seeking students to go, I want to pick the student that's going to end up going to a Grand Prix. But I'm. what interests me is just seeing if it's a horse or a person, where are they right now? Yep. Where do they want to go and how can I help them get there? Yep. Um, I have been surprised, um, like you said, so I've kind of learned to just focus on where are they and what's the next step? Where are they and where's the next step? Mm-hmm. Um, when I trained uh, my dressage horse, that's what my trainer did. She said, okay, we're going to the next level. It might be hard. He might not be able to do it, but let's start and we'll see. And he just kept going. So I think that influenced me a lot of, you know, (laughs) just keep going one step at a time. So sometimes it's about the persistence then, isn't it? Rather than the big goals, big ambitions. Just be persistent. Right. It's yeah. the it's often the character of the human or the horse of how do they deal with um, pressures and setbacks and things that don't work right away, or even how do they deal with successes? It's and that you never know until you get in there. 
and start to roll up your sleeves and get into things a little bit to, to figure out, can they be in this for the long haul? Yeah, yeah. Karen, tell us a bit about one of your early memories of how you started with horses. <laughs> um, my earliest memory of horses is where I lived. Uh, there was some property and some of the neighbor kids who were the older kids had horses. And so I was little at like age six, seven. Yeah. <laughs> We'd go play back there. And um, what my parents didn't know is they would play this game of putting us up on their horses. They rode around bareback. And like they'd swing us up on the horse and they'd go running around and then they'd hide us somewhere on the property in the bushes. And then the other friend would come around and try to find us and they'd grab us and swing us up on their horse and then try to gallop back to the barn. So I thought that was great fun and I'm so happy I survived that. Because it's kind of nuts. Um, so my earliest memories were just really being very natural with the horse, a lot of bareback and just hanging out with them and climbing all over them. And like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate that it all worked out really well. I didn't have a bad experience. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and then from there, you know, obviously you had a great start. What about having a career with horses though? You know, did you do something else before you actually had a career with horses or did you go straight into it from school? How did that work? Yeah, well, I I never meant to have a career with horses. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't. You're not the only one. <laughs> I was. I went to university, yep. and um, I was thinking veterinarian. And then I realized I didn't really want to be with the sick horses. I wanted to be with the healthy horses. So um, I actually had switched and was going into um, a scientific illustration and medical illustration. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. I was doing a lot of training, competing, and people kept paying me to teach them and paying me to ride their horses. And so it just sort of, I couldn't not do that. How can you not do that? Like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, yeah. So it really just was one step and, you know, one step and <laughs> another. And pretty soon I had a, a waiting list and a schedule. And, and then um, my trainer actually ended up having a very challenging horse come into her barn that had uh, bucked off and injured every one of her instructors. So she called me and she said, (laughs) she gave me the full story and said, you don't have to do this, but she knew how I rode. And she said, I think you can make a connection with this horse. And um, through that horse, I was successful and he ended up being sold and did very well after he bucked me off once. Um, But um, then I was there at her facility and then people at her facility started asking me and, and she really helped teach me how to teach. So it just really was one step at a time, just followed the path. and um. You know, it was it was the dream career uh, that I never meant to have. So you really were a professional right out of school. You just didn't realize that that was your path. You exactly. thought that you were going to yeah. go down another path. Yeah. So so I know that, you know, quite a few people I've talked to have done the same thing. They've gone to uni, I'll just do horses on the side. And then they've realized that, you know, the horses on the side is what they really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a bit about the, the have with the competitive riders and the one step after the other and the you know the the being persistent and the um you know sort of you, you talked along those lines but just to work within the horse industries what sort of core skills or character traits do you think those people need anyone that's working in the horse industry whether they're going in to be a professional rider to be a professional instructor 
or to do some other thing, you know, to work with horses? What sort of skills do they need? I really think if I have to give a message to anybody thinking going to the horse industry, mm-hmm. it's number one, you have to remember why you're in the horse industry, yep. which yep. I would presume is because you love horses. There are way too many cranky horse trainers out there. Mm. And if we're not remembering every day that we're doing this because we love horses, you probably know that there are a lot of bad decisions made in the horse industry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> decisions that are bad for horses and students. And um, that comes from, I think, forgetting why you're doing it. Because it's hard work and it's hard to make you know a good living and be ethical and an integrity, but it is so amazingly rewarding if you can pull it off. Um, so that would, I would say, um, be prepared to be humble because horses will humble you. So you got to be able to be humble and just remember why you're doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what will give you the integrity that is so needed in this industry. Yep. Yep. What do you think is the best thing about the industry? The best thing about the industry, um, is at its best, we're helping uh, people, you know, live their dream. You know, most of the students that that I teach, you know, are in it because they love horses. And if you can help them be successful with horses, you're you're helping them live a dream and feel things like connectedness and relationship and communication on such a higher level. So that's where I get my joy from the industry is seeing the progress and seeing the smiles on the faces and oh my God, that felt amazing. (laughs) You know, those responses, that's what, that's what keeps me coming back for more. And it is, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see, not just the connection that you have yourself, but you're able to create that connection, you know, with other people. Yeah. Yep. Tell us about people who've helped you along the way. Oh, I have to talk about Anne Gribbins. Uh, mm-hmm. She was my original dressage trainer and just, I mean, she's still alive, a uh, top judge and trainer and coach. And she's just a force of nature. She is an amazing teacher. She's an amazing trainer. She um, imported and bred horses. She's a highest level judge. And I knew, I've known her since I was 15 and she loved working with kids. So she just gave so much. She would let me ride her horses. And looking back, I'm like, I had no business riding these, you know, (laughs) Olympic level horses. But, you know, she just kept giving me these opportunities and was a mentor, not only for how to ride, but how she taught me a lot about how to teach and how to be an ethical horse person, um, how to judge. You know, there was so much she taught me. And um, just as a human, she's very, she's hilarious and she's outspoken. And I tend to be a very shy, I was a very shy kid and kind of like afraid to express my opinion. So I think being around her was a really great influence on me to be um, outspoken and confident in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, I can't, you know, that she, she gave me so much. I was so fortunate to, I just happened to live close enough to take lessons from her and she luckily took me on because I didn't know what I was doing I just that's where we went that was the closest barn that said they gave dressage lessons it was pure luck (laughs) that's good isn't it yeah 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 
Tell me about your journey with natural horsemanship. Who's helped you along the way there? Yeah, that all started with a horse, a Grand Prix horse that I had Mm -hmm. that um, was starting to have lameness problems. And so I needed something, what I would have said then was something fun and cute to do with him. And I happened by accident to come across a clinic um, that said it was a Pirelli natural horsemanship clinic. I didn't know what that was, but I went. And um, the Pirelli instructor there, um, I just got so much out of that first clinic. I kind of blew me away of what I was hearing and learning. And that instructor was named David Lichman. He's one of the Pirelli instructors. And he connected me directly with Pat and Linda. He's like, you got to meet Pat and Linda. And I guess Pat and Linda Pirelli were, you know, the time I was there, there wasn't any other dressage person remotely interested in (laughs) what they were doing. And so here I was going, yeah, what you do is cool. So again, I was very, very fortunate um, where I came to spend the winter in Florida happened to be seven miles from where the Pirelli's Florida place was. <laughs> this handy. instructor literally took me by the hand and went me over there. He's like, you're meeting Pat Linda. I said, I don't have time for this. He's like, no, you're going to meet them. <laughs> and um, they and Pat and Linda, again, were just so generous. I think they were as intrigued by me as I was by them. So it was very... We were so curious about each other and they, you know, I took, ended up studying with both of them and they invited me to follow them back to Colorado and then follow them back to Florida and follow them back to Colorado (laughs) and follow them back to Florida. And um, I just kept saying yes um, to the opportunities and, um, you know, I'm so glad I did. Yep. Yep. What about horses? You know, if you had to pull out one horse, who do you think has been the most influence in your career? Oh, the most influence? Um... My, you know, my horse, Brave Tom, he was my second horse and he was a off the track thoroughbred. He just did hunter jumper shows and um, did not pass the pre-purchase exam for dressage, but that's okay. I didn't want to, I was just doing pony club and eventing at that time. And he's the horse that I started taking lessons with Ann Gribbons with that she said every year. So like, I don't know if he's going to be able to do this, but <laughs> we'll start. Yep. And he did it, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I kept him in the bushes at home by myself and just went for lessons once a week, and we went all the way, and he represented the United States on the Young Riders team. And when I look back, I go, how did that work? I That shouldn't have worked. I was just a kid taking a lesson a week and then going back and making a million mistakes. And, mm-hmm. and on a horse that didn't pass the pre-purchase exam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I was looking for a dressage horse, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have gotten a bow tendon from when his time on the track. And yep. it just, um, you know, I, I mean, I appreciated him at the time, but looking back, I just go, oh gosh, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry for all my mistakes and thank <laughs> you so much, horse. Um, so that was, you know, if it wasn't for him, I would not have a career in dressage. Yep. yep. I mean, I would have done pony club for a few more years and then went on to university and a real job. It wasn't yeah. for him. I had no intention mm-hmm. of doing dressage professionally. So. And Anne as well. <laughs> so, you know, you, you've already given credit there to Anne, who just had that faith Absolutely. And, and didn't underestimate you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly. Let's just keep going. Let's yep. just see. Yep. 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 What do you think has been your proudest moment with horses? Yeah, it 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 has to be connected back to Brave Tom. There was okay. one of the years we went to Young Riders Championships and we actually got the individual bronze medal and one of the leaders in dressage 
was Captain Andy Dizenay, and he was really big with the young riders, and he pulled me aside, and he actually ended up writing me a letter, and he said, he said, do you realize that you're the only one on their own horse? Every other horse here is someone else's retired Grand Prix horse. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm glad I didn't know that before I you know, competed. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, that was cool. Like, we did it. You know, Tom and I did it in the bushes with a lot of help, but yeah, we yeah. did it. And yeah. uh, and so that, I was very proud of him and me. And, you know, that was a, that was a cool experience. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. What do you think? is the, and thinking about, you know, the industry as a whole and professional riders and trainers and instructors, what do you think the biggest challenge is for them, for people coming into it? You know, for people to get up, to be successful, to be professional, if they were looking back and you think back, if you're looking back now, what's been the biggest challenge? Mm, The biggest challenge, well, if this is, can I kind of connect it to like what I see the problem in the industry is, is lack of curiosity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see so many problems for students, for horses, for trainers stemming from too much investment in this is the right way. And the other way is the wrong way. Mm. And I think, what happens is if you have your system and this is the way we do it, then if a horse comes along that doesn't fit, they're called a challenging or difficult or bad horse. But then that horse goes to another system and it does just fine. And I think it causes a lot of confusion among students. This trainer said that, and this trainer said, no, don't do that. And I think, you know, lots of systems can work. So if lots of systems can work, then if, your system is not working with a particular horse, or if my system isn't working with a particular horse, what I found is I have to be curious. So I think just a lack of openness of mind gets people in narrow lanes. And um, I, I think a lot of the troubles in the industry for students and for people and for horses come from that. Mm-hmm. My way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way you know, post yep. a picture on Facebook and watch everybody fight about it. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. serve anybody. <laughs> what would you say then for someone coming into the industry to avoid that? Um, to to always keep learning and, and um, knowing that, you know, it, it's a tricky balance because you want to be confident in your system and there are, you know, steps that work, but the horses don't read the book. So most systems are... Um, 
based around a particular purpose on a particular breed of horse and a particular kind of rider. And in modern, the modern world now, we got all kinds of horses with all kinds of people and all kinds of locations. And it's very, you know, a big mishmash. Um, so there's a lot of times you can have a big warm blood, but but stand to learn from a technique that's used on other breeds of horses to um, gain a certain quality. And I think, you know, just from a philosophical point of view, there's some sort of quote is like, you know, as soon as you think, you know, is the moment that you don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, the wise man knows that he doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, I think just to, to keep learning, because the other thing that can happen is you call yourself a professional and then you don't want to look like you are still a student or a lot of professionals don't like to ride as a student because they think it makes them look unprofessional or like they still have to learn something. And the reality is we all have to always keep learning because there's always a new horse with a new feel and a new situation with new different baggage. Um, and I, I think once you call yourself professional, if you start thinking that that's all you need to know, um, that's the beginning of trouble. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So get the yeah, beginner's mind and yeah, yeah, and just being being flexible, having an open mind. Then, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, over mm. the over my tack room in my barn, I have a sign that says Ancora Imparo, and apparently that is something Michelangelo said after completing the Sistine Chapel, and it means I'm still learning. Yeah. So I think mm. that's I have it over my tack room. It's like I I need to see that every single day. <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Thinking about, you know, if you go out and you do a clinic, you see a lot of riders, and I'm sure you will see new riders that you haven't seen before. What's a common fault that you see? when you go to a clinic and see new riders? Oh, gosh, there's such a wide range. That's <laughs> I mean, why I thought, well, if um, I say a new riders in there, you know, it's a common okay. common one that you see, not with people that you're already teaching, but something that you see straight up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'll tell you something that I end up highlighting a lot in my clinics, and that is um, to help people trust their instincts um, I and this connects back to the you know curiosity point. Um, a lot of people are teaching students this is the right way, this is the wrong way. So they um, they stop feeling and they start like they'll often ask me like, is this the right bend? Is this right? And I'll say, well, how does it feel? Does it feel like your horse is communicating with you? So I really highlight prioritizing how does the communication feel between you and your horse. And after we get that, so you, it feels right to you, then I'll tell you if you need more bend or what you need to ask your horse for. Because I think a lot of people, um, like say you're riding and the trainer says, good, but as a rider, you know you're like squeezing your guts out and your hands hurt because your horse is really heavy. But your trainer says that looks good. And then you're trained to think that horrible feeling means that it looks good, so it must be good. And what I often do is go, well, is are you in harmony with your horse? Like, did your horse do what you asked? Did he understand? Did you let him know that he did it the way you asked? 
And what I know is that when you're in good communication, you don't have to know anything. You can trust your instincts. So I'll say, does that feel, does your horse match your energy? And they might say something like, no, he's going too slow or he's he's not engaged enough. And I say, no, no, is he matching you? Does it feel like you and your horse are together? And then if I can get people feeling and trusting that they can tell me what it feels like, because they know what it feels like. They just have to be bold enough to say, I'm using too much leg or no, he's not responding. Then I, then I can work on that. Then I can get feedback from them of like, all right, well, what do we have to do to feel like when you put your leg on? And just goes, yes, I'm on it. Then when we have the communication, um, I can say, okay, now that you, you and your horse are together, let's try a little higher energy or a little lower energy or can you straighten your neck? But for me, I don't care what it looks like if until the horse and the rider are communicating. Yep. And I think that that problem of riders being told something looks good when it feels like they're fighting mm-hmm. is that's not helpful. And on the other hand, sometimes riders are told to like get after their horse when they it was them that lost their balance or they accidentally bumped the horse. Now they're you know giving it a tap because the trainer told them to and the horse is like what the what the yeah. heck you, yeah. you, i thought you that's what you meant <laughs> so for me the top priority is the, the communication and understanding between the horse and the rider and it's very freeing when the riders realize that they do know how it feels mm-hmm. they might not mm-hmm. know how to get it better i can help with that but they have to admit no i'm using too much leg or no i'm i'm i am using too much outside rain or I feel too much there. And when I get them freeing up about trusting that they can feel it, that they will feel the difference when they feel harmony, yep. they, it's like that's when the smiles come. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, now we can really problem solve. And then, you know, P.S., if you get the communication going really well and in harmony, chances are yours is going to look better. Yes. <laughs> the yes. look is going to come along as a product of the communication. Yes, and when you think about you know, dressage, it is about the communication. The looking good is the result of, you know, as you say, the communication, harmony, everything else coming together. That's when the horse looks good. I think so. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes sense to me, but there's yeah. a lot of get his head on the vertical. Mm-hmm. Don't You know, there's a lot of making the shape and forgetting that the, the movements are to create balance and the balance creates the shape. Yep. Yeah. And you can't ask for the movements unless you have good communication. So, yeah. So I, I think the helping riders understand that they really can feel these things. And, and that's probably why the way I teach, I can teach it virtually also because I can just help people trust their instincts and know what questions to ask themselves so that they can self-assess at home. Have you got, um, just tell us a little bit about your book, Karen, Dressage Naturally. Yeah, I'm very proud of my book. It's <laughs> self-published. I wrote it, I illustrated it, and we have a DVD that goes with it. And it's called Dressage Naturally Results in Harmony. And it's really a guide to the basics of dressage from a natural horsemanship perspective. So after immersing in natural horsemanship, it caused me to, to like, go, wait a minute, I'm looking at dressage completely differently now. So I kind of wrote the book for myself because I had to go, wait, how do I ride anymore? How do we do this? Like, <laughs> I just 
changed everything. Yep, yep. So the process of writing the book was about me theoretically, how do I fit natural horsemanship and dressage together? And then what are some core exercises um, that really bridge the two and bring yep. in the communication that I learned from natural horsemanship and into getting dressage results? Um, so that's really what it's about. So it's really good as a first introduction to the to dressage for a natural horsemanship-minded person. And it's a great, fresh look at dressage from kind of a different perspective, um, even if you've, you're already a dressage professional, you know, to be that learner, be the beginner's <laughs> mind and kind of look at it again. I've had so many people, you know, that are that are upper-level riders go, I never thought about it that way. Yes. And good. like, I know. <laughs> good. Yes. Yeah. What are you looking forward to now? If you've got students coming on, do you still compete now or do your students compete? Um, I do have yeah. students that compete, but I don't I don't compete anymore. Okay. I just yes. it's kinda it's kinda not how I want to spend my weekends, mm. to be perfectly mm. honest. And I realized that the last few shows I went to, I kept like kind of forgetting to go pick up my test or get my scores because <laughs> I already knew. Yeah. Like I, for me it was the I found shows couldn't measure the difference that a horse made from where he started. So I've always been a little fan of the underdog. So the the six mover who finally moves for, you know, an eight, you know, you could have a fancy horse that gets a six and a horse that started out as a four and get a six. And and I feel happier with the six from the first one, even though the other one might win. So I just found, you know, where my interest was, was not achieving winning. It was just making everybody the best they can be. And, you know, when I started not checking the scoreboards, I started thinking, why am I spending all this money? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I still use that standard. Yeah. I still use the standard. I know what what test all my horses would do, but the future for me, um, you know, I'm really about empowerment. So, Mm -hmm. and I love teaching. So I'm always coming up with new ways of trying to explain things and how can I deliver this message um, to people all over the world. And that's, you know, I started creating these online courses as a, they were a result of realizing at my live clinics, I was empowering them. At the end of the clinics, all the students were telling me how, what they were doing and when they got it. So I thought, you guys could do this at home. You don't even need me. And I was like, oh, wait, I I really can teach them at home. So, um, so I, I'm continuing to serve students that way. And that's really fun because I get to talk to people all over the world every week and I get to see the videos. And I've also, um, in the last year, created a a mastermind and mentorship program for professionals, feeling like if I do my part to uh, decrease the number of cranky horse trainers in the world and, and help other professionals learn how to leverage their business a little bit so that they have some freedom to not have to pack a million horses into a small space just to make enough money or they don't have to sell the wrong horse to the wrong person just to make some money that there's, there's other ways to structure your business that will help create a horse friendlier life. And I also found that sometimes the most heart centered, humble horsemen are also the ones that don't like to market themselves because they're so humble and heart centered. And, um, and then they're the ones who, get burned out and go out of business and end up not helping anybody. So I really want to support the humble, humble heart centered professional who really is in it for the horse. So I've been doing that 
So that's really what I wake up every day and I ride my own horses all morning and then I come in the house and try to figure out different ways to explain things to people or write things or help people and spread the the word Mm -hmm. as far as I can. (laughs) Karen, what about your philosophy? Can you just sum that up just in a couple of sentences? (laughs) My (laughs) philosophy on, on... Oh, horses, horses, horses <laughs> training, just generally with horses, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, um, maybe I can kind of go back to some of my core beliefs, because mm. for me, it's life and horses, there's no big. So um, for me, I believe the truth is in the middle, and that goes back to, you know, being open-minded, and, and I directly relate that to my training in that the idea that to find balance is somewhere between all the crooked places. So the more you experiment and listen to your horse, they will show you where alignment is. So I believe it in that way from a really technical point of view to play around. Don't try to make straight, but play around to find straight because precision arrives out of the possibilities that play creates. And um, also use that for my beginner's mind. I'm, I'm open-minded. Somebody else might have another way to do things. Uh, I also really believe that our thoughts create our reality. So um, having that attitude of positivity and possibility um, and also down to horses. Horses read our intention, so we better watch what we're thinking. (laughs) They know what we're thinking. Um, I I strongly believe that uh, horsemanship and life are lessons in lightness. And we can get really serious results without being so serious all the time. I think the dressage world could use a little more dose of lightheartedness. Mm-hmm. Live in possibility. I keep saying that. You know, I've, I've talked to people where they say, you know, you say the word possibility in like every three sentences. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know I do, don't I? Um, um, and I think the last one I'd say the core principle is this authenticity is non-negotiable. So connecting back to what I said about prioritizing the communication, having um, clarity in communicating, I think is a good thing to think about for life, definitely for horses. But, uh, you know, as humans, we often practice things like, oh, you know, yeah, sure, I'll try to make it to your party. And, you know, we know we don't want to go, but we practice saying things we don't really mean and that does not work with horses. So I think horses have really taught me um, to have a clarity of communication and to be able to speak your truth in a kind and serving way. But I don't like the feeling of I'm saying something I don't mean or that somebody else is saying something to me that's not really true. Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, yes. So I think that's something, If I when I catch myself, having something to say, but I'm not saying it, maybe I'm saying something else. It, it's one of those points in my life. I go, look at that, Karen. Why are you doing that? Yep. <laughs> and, and the horses have really taught me that. Yeah, good. Karen, how can people contact you? Um, dressagenaturally.net is my website. So anything that I do is can be um, found from there. So it's just those two words put together, dressagenaturally.net. And if you stick a Karen at in front of that, it, your email will get to me. There's links on places to click contact me on my website. And, and I've got some free stuff if, you, if you're if you curious. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, go on my website and say, start here and get <laughs> some free stuff. And 
you know, I'll send you uh, three training videos and some stuff. And, you know, if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe from my list. But uh, I just want people to, you know, just like get a little example and get an idea. And uh, maybe one little idea can go a long way to to help someone. Uh, A lot of people have said that what I teach has given them a missing link. So maybe whether, you, you know, there's dressage, there's natural horsemanship. So whichever end you're coming from, there's a little piece. And and that's what my fascination is, is filling in all the little places of disharmony and seeing if we can use the whole toolbox to see if we can figure out how to fill in that piece. The other thing too is that um, if people didn't have their pen with them or couldn't write that down, couldn't remember it, it'll be on horsechats.com slash Karen Rolfe or just go to horsechats.com and search for Karen or search for Rolf, which is R-O-H-L-F. So, Karen, thank you for coming on. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today. Um, I certainly enjoyed it, and I'm sure we can go down into a bit more depth if you'd like to come back for another interview and talk about some of the finer points. That would be really good. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.